0: Now, if you've been with us here, we're about two-thirds of the way we the book of Isaiah. And certain times in some of these chapters, we've slowed down and taken it one chapter at a time. There's other times where we've picked up the pace. If you look here tonight, we're going to be going through Isaiah 44 through 46. Uh, if you think of a sheet, I believe Nancy's making more of them. Did you like the color of the sheets tonight? Oh, Who's said horrible? Do you know you horrible? Oh, lovely. Hey, I just want to let you know, to put this up uh, in front of our uh, paper section back there, and I thought, we haven't used salmon in a long time. And so it's salmon-colored sheep. You know, that's what I get people to do is pick out color sheep. but I have white, so far um, Isaiah uh, 44 to 46. 46 to 44. Now, it's pretty straight forward, though. so I was reading through this, I always need to read ahead to make sure we're getting the full theme of everything. And what you see here is there's four main things that popped up.
1: And if you look at your sheets
0: here, there's four points that we're going to talk about tonight.
1: First one, God is God.
0: Only God can do prophecy. God is the Redeemer, and God is the Creator. Now, these are things that we've heard before as we've gone through Isaiah. If you really pay attention to Isaiah 44 through 46, you're going to see all these things pop up again and again and again. God is trying to make a point. If you look at these four points, if you take these four points down, that's pretty good. How many times in the Bible have God told us that supposed to love everybody? How many times has God told us we're supposed to be pure? How many times did he tell us that Jesus is the only way? God likes repetition. And when he has a point that he really wants to drive home to make sure you get, he'll repeat it again and again and again. These four points are repeated again and again. If you look, I picked at least one verse or two verse to show it. And you can look, I got all the other references down there. So in these three short chapters, some of these points are repeated five, six, seven times to get the point across. So with that being said, this is the first point we see here in Isaiah 44 through 46, God is God. the reference to I'm the first and the last, beside me there is no other. This one is for God beside me, indeed there is no other rock. I know not one. Now, verse six, Isaiah 44. It's important to mention, I'm the first and the last, beside me there is no God. We spent a lot of time a few weeks ago on that passage, and we got into idolatry and false teaching, and we talked a lot about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and we talked about how getting in there and understanding that Jesus is God. So I don't want you to feel I'm trying to skip over that point. That's a point we covered a few weeks ago, and I encourage you to get a copy of that CD or listen to it there online. But God is God. Now, this is something that's so straightforward, right? I'm even going to go on a limb and probably state that everybody here tonight is probably not going to argue at this point that God is God. He's God. If he you didn't think that he was God, you probably wouldn't give up on Wednesday evening and want to come out tonight. So why are we spending time on this? is the question we want to ask. Why argue with the Almighty? If God is God, why do we argue with him? Now you may think you don't argue with him. I would like to think I don't argue with him either. When you stop and you think about it, we do. Remember in the book of Acts when Peter was given that vision of clean and unclean animals? Peter has one of the most contradictory statements in the whole Bible. What did he say? No, Lord. Now, how can you call God Lord and tell him no? Because if he is almighty, he is God, what right do I have as a bondservant, a slave, to tell God no anything? James, I want you to go do this. No, Lord. James, I want you to say this. no, Lord. That's arguing with God. So you may say, well, it's not really arguing. No, that is. One of the rules we have at the Irvin household, and this is a rule that's very difficult to enforce, but we're trying to instill into the kids, is we're parents, you're not, so therefore obedience is listening and obeying the first time. If we have to say it two, three, four, five, six times, then you're not obeying. And there's this phrase that they taught us at the parenting conference called delayed obedience.
1: You ask them to do something,
0: and they very slowly, quietly start to do it at their own pace. Delayed obedience. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, I argue with God all the time. I have a lot of delayed obedience. James, I want you to do this. Oh will Lord. Give me a few seconds here. When I'm ready, I'll get right on that. Wait a seconds. He's almighty, and he is God. Why would I not jump when he says jump? Why would I not, when he says go, why would I not just immediately get up and go? Here's the problem. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. Therefore, when God says, James, I want you to do this, I feel that my two points need to be introduced and thought over and processed. Okay, Lord, I know what you want me to do. I see this. But what do you think about this? Now, come on. Did you realize how silly that sounds? You ever think God up in heaven? And say, oh, that's a really good point. I've never thought about it from that perspective. He already knows what's best. Do you remember that first phrase that we learned when we talk about the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, why is that phrase in there? I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because the point is, is that God's will in heaven is never questioned or argued about. Do you think when God said, Gabriel, I want you to go down and tell Mary she's going to have the Messiah, think Gabriel stopped and said, are you sure about this? If this is the girl you want to pick, Gabriel just did it. And the problem is, we think we have rights privileges and wisdom that we need to share and that God is just a counselor that we go to and run things by him and see what he thinks. Do you know how many times I've seen Christians make big decisions? Big decisions of kind of just touching base with God rather than seeking him on this. Decisions about changing jobs, moving, selling, buying houses or kids or dating or marriage, whatever. And they almost treat God as just, I'll check in with him to see what he thinks. But really what we're supposed to be doing is hitting our knees and saying, Lord, I don't want to take a step until you say, take a step. God is God. Beside me, there is no other God. Verse 8 again. Before God beside me, indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So the first point here is,
2: take a look at
0: yourself and say, do I argue with the Almighty? Am I opinionated? Am I a type A personality? Do I have it all figured out? Is this what I want to do? Are you waiting for God's leading, or is God trying to pull you back, saying, "Slow down here for a little bit"? One of the points that you see here of these next three chapters: God is God, and very simply put, we're not. Now, let's just let's go to the next one. If God is God; only God can do prophecy. And this is something we had a few weeks ago. So, forgive me for repetition here, but i trying to remember what separates the Bible from any other "quote unquote" holy book. No other holy book has prophecy in it. That's the key thing you have to remember. The Bible has prophecy. No other holy book, and I use the term holy with a little h, has prophecy in it. Only God can prophesy. I look at the verses that we've out here. Isaiah 44, 7. Who can proclaim as I do? Let him declare it. He set it in order for me. So I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to me. What he's saying in verse 7 is, okay, I know what's going to happen. Why don't you tell me what's going to happen? I can't do that. Verse 10 of 46, declaring the end from the beginning and from each of times of things that are not yet done. No other book has prophecy. So once again, not to repeat the whole lesson, but we talked about the world's prophets, the Nostradamuses of this world. If a guy picks 500 things, he gets a few right. He's a prophet. You know, the thing about God is he's batting 100%. And I always have to throw this passage out there. And if you want to study that more, you can. I believe it's in Deuteronomy chapter 13. It talks about if you claim to be a prophet and you go ahead and make a prophecy, and that prophecy does not come true, what is supposed to happen? It's supposed to be stoned to death. But thankfully, we don't live under the law anymore. That's the way they took care of false prophets in the Old Testament. It would really make you think twice about saying, thus saith the Lord. How many times do we hear that? How many times do we say, well, you know what? The Lord told me. Be careful about that. That's a pretty big statement to say. It's the Lord told me. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't move, and I'm not saying that God doesn't say things. But to come out and say, the Lord told me this, and I'm telling you that, you better make sure the Lord is the one telling you. You better make sure.
2: Now, you're going to say, well, this is what the Lord's going to do.
0: Well, then you're saying, okay, this is what God's revealed to me. Only God can reveal prophecy. Therefore, if you're saying this is what's going to happen, you're saying I'm speaking forth for God. That's a a big statement to make. That's not something I try to say. And I try not to say that too often. Of, you know, what God's told me. I had a situation a few years ago where uh, there was somebody out here at church and something was going on. I saw the situation going on and I was praying about this. And I went up to this person and I said, I just want to let you know, the Lord told me, boom, 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 boom. And she looked at me, and I remember, and she says, uh, The Lord didn't tell you that. And I said, What do you mean? She goes, Because this is really what's going on. I was so far off. So far off. But the point was, I was so sure of myself. Now, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 13, got some stones, check down James. It'd be a fun day. The point, though, is, we sometimes soar so quick at that, thus saith the Lord. We've got to be careful about that. Now, at the same time, too, the New Testament says, don't punch the Spirit. The Lord reveals things, the Lord says things, the Lord does things. Let's also utilize those gifts. There's word of wisdom, word of knowledge. We sometimes we've got to be careful. I tell you, if I'm ever flipping through the stations and you see some of those people on TV, they're saying, thus saith the Lord all the time. God's writing books to them left and right. Now, there has to be accountability for those words. There has to be. The Bible says there's not going to be one word spoken. That would not be held accountable. Now think about that. How many words have you said and I've said that we have to be accountable for? That's a pretty big statement. So, only God can do prophecy. One other quick point I need to say about this, like in the I and mean, I always have to throw this out there, God also said that he will allow false prophets to rise up and he will allow some of those false prophets to rise up and actually have some of those things come true. And the reason he does that, the Bible says, is to test us. Are we still really going to seek him, or are we going to chase after signs and wonders and people? There are some people that are what I call more rock star Christians than anything else. People just follow them. Whatever he says, whatever she does. Wait a second, we follow Jesus and Jesus alone. You all the teachings of the Bible. And you go up and you talk to somebody and you say, "Hey, you know what? The Bible doesn't really line up with what they're saying." Oh, well, I'm not going to go against him or her. Well, I'm not trying to go against him or her either. I'm just trying to speak to the truth of the Bible. Everything has to be backed up and flowed up with Scripture. God allows certain things sometimes to happen to test us. That's a tough thing. And you know what? The enemy says himself, masquerades as an angel of light. An angel of light. So therefore, it looks good, but it's really quite fake and really quite wrong. Now, I can never remember her name. Do you remember the gal that used to go on Montel Williams all the time? Come on, who, what was her name? Yeah, see, I'm such a Christian, I don't even know her name, but you guys do. Um, not that I watched Montel Williams that much, but I always remember people always bring up Sylvia Brown. She's done so much good. She helped people find the lost kids. She helped bring closure to things. And she says it's all the Lord.
1: I'm telling you right now,
0: I will say, thus sayeth the Lord, Sylvia Brown is a false prophet. I will. That is not lining up with scripture. Yeah, but look at the good she does. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And sometimes there are things that people, you know, do quote-unquote get things Right. Deuteronomy 13, that is going to happen. I can't stress this to you enough. We have to get back to the whole council and say, okay, is this person really speaking forth for the Holy Spirit and God? No, they're not. Now, how can we be so sure of that? Does it sound egotistical to sit there and say that person's wrong and I'm right? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying God's Word is right. And if you stick to the Scriptures and you stick to what He says, you're not going to go off. Just got to make sure we're not twisting it, we're not taking out a contest. So, full circle here. If only God can do prophecy, if He's the only one that can predict the future, He's the only one that can do this thing, look at the question we ask. Well, why not trust His Word? Why well, trust His word. That word? I don't trust His Word sometimes, I'll be honest. You know why? His Word says in Romans 10 28, that all things work together for the good, for those that love Him, that are called according to His purposes. So I know That as long as I'm serving the Lord and seeking Him, whatever happens in my life, God's going to use it for the good. I know that. That's what His Word says, right? I don't trust that. Something happens in my life. It's like, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? Lord, what are you doing? I remember years ago, I was on the way to do marriage counseling with a couple. And this couple was was going through a really difficult time. Not that I had all the answers, but they really needed to sit down with somebody. So I'm on the way to go do marriage counseling with this couple. And you know those reflectors in the middle of the road? One of them was popped out. I hit it with the tire. Spikes, immediately flat tire, pulled over the side of the road. And I sat there and thinking, "Oh okay, Lord, why? What are you doing here? You know, this is years ago before I even had a cell phone. No way to get a hold of them. No way to call for help. No way to do anything. And, and I'll just share this part of the story real quick. It doesn't have a point, but I, but I like this point. I remember sitting there saying, Lord, why? Why are you allowing this to happen? And I thought, how cool would it be? And somebody from church drove by to help. And I'm not kidding. Almost in that exact moment, somebody from church drove by that has a very unique car, very easy to see them. made eye contact with them, and they just drove on by. I didn't pray for them to stop. That's <laughs> the problem. I thought, How cool would it be, Lord, if someone from church drove by? They drove. They right by. It's the closest thing I've ever had to power in prayer. And they just drove by. point, though, is I sat right there, and I'm still so upset to this day in the whole scheme of things. What was the good that came out of that? I don't know. I mean, seriously, what was the good? I missed the appointment. You know, I, I didn't get to go there. I just, what came out of that? I have no idea. God's Word says all things work together for the good. I have to trust that. I don't see the full picture. Yeah, that's something small and minor. There's nothing in the whole scheme of things. You know what happens now if you go back and you get a diagnosis? All things work together for the good. Do you trust that God's Word is still true? The psalm says that God is good and does good. So is God still good and does, does good when the four-year-old gets leukemia? Is God still good and does good when that beloved friend of ours dies tragically in a car accident? Is God still good? Well, if you trust his word, he is good. Well, I don't know. Well, wait a second. If he's proven himself in prophecy, if he's proven himself that he can do that, then we have to trust the whole counsel of God's word. Do we not realize these prophecy, one of my favorite little verses in Isaiah 45, and I don't think I put the reference up there. Uh, verse 4, Isaiah 45, verse 4. He talks about Cyrus. Now, a little bit of background in history here. You have the Assyrians that come and take care of Israel in 722. You have the Babylonians that come and take care of Jerusalem in 586. And after the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians come. Now, God uses the Medes and the Persians to take care of Babylon, and God raises up Cyrus to do this. Did you catch the Isaiah 45, verse 4? For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. Jump back if you go to Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus? He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure. God prophesied, and I know this is a little bit of a repeat from a few weeks ago, 150 plus years in the future, God prophesied that Cyrus will come and defeat Babylon and take care of it. And God is coming out here in verse 4 and says, I didn't call you by name. Ah, Cyrus, do you think that you were named by your mom? I named you. Now, if that's not impressive prophecy, I don't know what it is. This is not some generic horoscope of something good's going to happen to you today. I have called you by name, and your name is Cyrus. And you're going to be the one that comes and does that. Now that's prophecy. That's pretty impressive. God has proven himself to do that. Can't we trust those verses that say he is good and does good? That in all things he works together for the good? That he says don't worry, don't have fear, don't be anxious? Can't we trust all of that? Because he said he can do it. Now let's stop here for we get the last two points. We're halfway through and any quick questions, comments here before we move on. Yeah, John. sovereignty is amazing. One of the most amazing things I think too about is sovereignty in the book of Job. Job goes through, I think it's like what 40 chapters or something like that. Job goes through 40 chapters of horrible pain and suffering. And do you realize that in those 40 chapters, Job still doesn't know what happened? He doesn't get the full picture. We get the full picture because we have Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. We see the heavenly scene going on. Job never saw the how and the why it all happened. And just in faith, he was supposed to trust and trust that God was him through it. In our society we live in today, I want to know why. And God says, do you trust me? Job had to trust. Job was never revealed why it all happened. Some of you here tonight, you have something that's happened to your life, and you're like, Lord, why? And God hasn't revealed the why. Do you still trust him to get you through it? His word says he will. People
1: often look at the book of Job and say, this book explains why bad things happen to the people, mm-hmm. it He never answers. He just says, I'm God. I'm talking to the universe. Mm I'm the dad. You're the kid. You know, you live in my house. You follow my rules. That kind of thing. But he never
0: really says, this is why all this happened to you. And that's a very good point, he never explains the why. And that's a tough thing. That's a real tough thing. Just uh, yesterday, Judah got up, and I do breakfast with the boys. And out of nowhere, Judah wanted to have a candy bar for breakfast. And I said, no, you're not having a candy bar for breakfast. And he's never had a candy bar for breakfast, just so everybody knows. Why? What do you mean, why? I said, no, but why? You know, that's what kids do. Why? And don't we, as parents, train and raise them up, saying, I'm the dad, I'm the parent. Just like Ryan was saying there, you've got to trust me. But yet, when we become smart adult Christians, Lord, why? Well, wait a second. I'm the parent. You've got to trust me. Now, as parents, you would never do anything to bring harm unto your child. God's the same way. Wait a second. God brought harm unto Job. Did he really bring harm into Job's life? No. No. God was with Job through that entire storm. Yeah. Well, God allowed it. God allowed it for a bigger divine purpose. And sometimes that's a hard thing to swallow. And, you know, I always use this example, and you've heard me bring it up before. You know, um, back in high school, I lost a very dear friend very tragically. And, you know, when I remember at his funeral... And I remember being revealed at the funeral. I'm thinking, Lord, this is what's going on. Here's this young guy that you know, uh, died at the age of 17, and uh, very tragically, um, but at his funeral, hundreds and hundreds of people got to hear a testimony of Jesus Christ.
2: These are a bunch of high
0: school kids that I graduated with that never would have listened. When you're 17 or 18, you don't deal with a death. You know, you don't think about that stuff. You're invincible. These guys are all lined up there, and they had to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ presented three times. Now, the friend that died, the Bible says, precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. You know, you can look at it one of two ways. Either Ben missed out on a lot of his life because he only lived at 17, or Ben got to go home early. What way do you want to look at it? You know, I don't want to miss my wife, and I don't want to miss my kids, but there's a lot of days I wish I could just go home. can I just clock out? No, rapture now, not a bad idea, Lord. You know, depends on how you look at it. Then got to go home early. Yeah, Tina. That's when you said, Why are you with God? Mm hmm. That brings to mind all
1: the arguments that Abraham and
0: Moses made. Mm hmm. I think we're having that to show I don't think it's necessarily wrong to. No, I don't think it's wrong to have a conversation with him. I agree with what you're saying. But if you also look at the example of Moses. You don't want to see God lost his temper with Moses, but God got mad at Moses. See, Moses, when God brought Moses and said, I'm going to bring you out uh, to take out Egypt, um, Moses said, I can't talk. Okay, well, I'll do the talking for you. I am of low birth. I'll take care of this. Every excuse that Moses had, God gracefully, patiently dealt with. And
2: to the end,
0: when Moses said, I don't want to, then the Bible says the anger of the Lord, Lord arose. That's when Moses started arguing with God. I I have times where I'm like, Lord, I can't, Lord, you know, I just, just this is I'm not this is not me, I can't do it. And God says, James, I can get you through it. What God doesn't like is when I just say, God, no, no, I'm not doing it. So,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and I a little bit like I would call cool arguing. I guess in the middle of the battle of semantics, I look at Moses arguing when he said, I don't want to. The other times, Moses was opening up his heart. I don't think there's anything wrong with opening up your heart to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this. You've called me to do this. I have a hard time with this. God, help me. I don't look at that as arguing. I look at that as crying out to your brother and your friend. I look at the arguing when you say just defiantly, I'm not going to do it, Lord. I know what you want me to do. You want me to love my wife unconditionally and patiently.
2: Nah,
0: I'm not. That's arguing. Now, going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm struggling with loving my wife patiently and unconditionally. God says, I'm there for you. Maybe it's with that old wording there, etc. But you know, Moses did share a lot with the Lord. um, and God was very patient. And there was a time too when Moses just flat out said, I'm not. God said the anger of the Lord arose against him, too. There was also a time or two
1: when Moses and also Jonah and maybe somebody else I think said, God, if this is
0: the way you're going to deal with me, please just kill me now. Yeah. Yeah, Elijah said, Just take me. Jonah's a good example of arguing with God. You know, uh, you know, Jonah wasn't like, Lord, I'm really struggling with Nineveh. Help me. He was like, I just don't want to. I just don't want to go. He so, went action on that, and this
1: is a practical point. He still ends up Nineveh, He got yeah. he went
0: to Nineveh the hard way, and that's what people quit put uh God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I'm taking you to Nineveh. I'm taking you the gross way. You're going to get peeked out of a big fish. Um, it's been much easier just to go to Nineveh the first time. Christ Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's a good point. Jesus even said, Take this stuff from me. That's not arguing. That, I believe, is opening up the heart there. Um, and, you know, and, I, and I guess for me, I know when I'm arguing. <laughs> I know when I'm being defiant. Lord, you called me to do this. I don't want to do it. And I also know when there's times of, Lord, just help me. I can't do this one. Or this is, this is too much for me. in
1: the last 15 years
0: of his life, you know, <laughs> the last 15 years, of his life. Hezekiah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was back in, um, what was that, 38 and 39? Yeah, 38, chapter 38 of Isaiah 38 about Hezekiah. All right, here, Megan. You had said that we have to be careful when we're saying that the Lord said. So are you saying that we are not
1: supposed to say that we feel the Lord has
0: said? Well, you know, this is kind of funny because this is how we use the words. And I'm going to answer your question by not answering your question. Because we don't usually say the Lord says. We say things like, I really feel the Lord is saying. Or, you know what, the Lord's really laid it on my heart. We use phrases like that a lot. And I remember a pastor's conference years ago, and I'm just stating this pastor's opinion. I'm not saying it's a biblical fact. He says he hates that phrase. I feel the Lord wants me to. He says, Do the Lord wants you to, or the Lord doesn't want you to? Now, that's just his opinion. There's some. There's, truth to that. We throw that out there a lot. I feel the Lord wants me to do this. I know a Christian friend, and God bless him. He doesn't come out here. He go someplace else. The Lord's feeling all the time. The Lord's feeling, I'm feeling led to do this. I'm feeling led to do that. You talk that one day he's going to Africa. The next day he's going to South America. The next day he's doing this. The poor guy's just confused left and right. God is not a God of confusion. I think sometimes that uh, we can be so focused on I don't want to miss God's will that we miss God's will. I know that guy, and God loves him. He's got a great heart, I really do believe. But he's so afraid of missing God's will, he's never going to take a step. Because I feel the Lord could be doing this. I feel the Lord could be doing that. Sometimes you've got to be an Abraham and take a step of faith and go where you don't know where you're going. But I guess to answer a question, he's making. Sometimes I do feel we throw those words out a whole awful lot. But really, what it comes down to, Romans 12:1 and 2, is if you want to know God's will, you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, and He will reveal His will to you. John 10:27, My sheep hear My voice. You know, here's the beautiful thing is, you know, we joke about this about church. At church, we don't have to make any decisions. God makes all the decisions. The only thing we have to do is seek Him and find out what the decision is. God makes the decisions. We just have to pray, seek his will, and wait to hear his voice. When he says go, we go. When he says stop, we stop. It's tough to hear sometimes, though. I'll be the first one to say that. So, we've got to move on here. Uh, next one here, after God is God, God only God can do prophecy. The third one, God is the redeemer. I love verse 22, Isaiah forty-four twenty-two. Now my new favorite verse. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I love that one. Redeem, Remember from Sunday. Redeem means to liberate. So I have liberated you. I have freed you from the burden, the cage of sin. We talked about that Sunday, and I believe we also talked about that last Wednesday. Now you may be thinking, finally, one that I'm not failing in. Why do I try to redeem myself? This is me. I'm not trying to redeem myself. I thought that too, and I realized I try to redeem myself all the time. I try to free myself from the cage of sin. I just I can handle this. I can do this. Lord, I am not going to do that anymore. There's a lot of eyes in there. Lord, I am not going to think those thoughts. I am not going to say those words. When they come up to me and say this, Lord, I am not going to say anything back. I'm redeeming myself. I'm trying to liberate myself. I really, what you do is, Lord, give me the strength not to say anything back. No, I can do this one. Or you know what? I'm going to get up. I had a thing this week where it's like, I'm going to get up this time every morning and I'm going to pray this much and I'm going to read this much and I'm going to do this. I'm trying to liberate myself, redeem myself. A lot of eyes there. And I just got to realize, Lord, it's you. It's all you. The more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize, the more stipulations I throw on myself, it's really just me and Jesus. And you know what? It's great to have a set time to do devotions and prayer. I think that's wonderful. I've seen people have a sick time from 7 to 7.30. And as soon as 7.31 is done, the Spirit's been moving. And the Spirit's not going to move again until 7 o'clock the next morning. Wait a second. We're always in tune with the Lord. The Bible says to pray without seeing. If you've got a spare moment, I encourage you to get into the Word and grab it. And sometimes we try to redeem ourselves. I prayed so much today. It's got to be a good day. I read an extra special couple chapters today. so therefore, God is going to bless me. That's trying to redeem ourselves. Now, maybe you don't fall into that trap. I'm the first one to say, I sometimes still fall into that trap. Like, Lord, I put so much time and effort into that message. How did it not go good? Lord, we prayed and prayed for that service. The people come to know you, and only one person came forward. What happened? That's a lot of I. Look what I did. It's not us, it's him. I'll tell you right now, some of the best messages, or I should say some of the best messages that people said, the Lord really used that, are the messages I walk away from thinking, okay, that was a total flop. If there's a board meeting right now, they'd fire me. I have no doubt about that. And those are the ones where people say, Wow, the Lord really spoke. And then I have ones where you feel like you hit a home run and you're standing by the door shaking people's hands. It's like, wow, there's gonna be so many people say, Good job, I don't know what I'm gonna do with myself. And not a single person then says anything, you know? So often we think it's us. Whatever it is, be it teaching or worship. Oh, worship is good. We get every note right. Maybe that doesn't make worship good. Or you know what? This this children's project is going to be so perfect back and back. i got all the supplies lined up. Everything's ready to go. No. We try to redeem ourselves and liberate ourselves. And you know what I really come down to is like, you know what, Lord? You know, we just need to do what we can and the rest is just covered in prayer. reminds me of Nehemiah when he built the wall. You know, you got the sword in one hand, and you got the utensils in the other hand to fix the wall. You know what, Lord? We're going to get out there, and we're going to be diligent to study the Word, to prepare the messages in the back. We're going to take time to practice up front. We're going to make sure everything's good to go. But really, it comes down to is your spirit leading, prayer being covered in it, and, Lord, you take care of doing it. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, Zechariah 4.6. So am I trying to redeem myself? The context here of Israel in Isaiah 44 through 46 is all these armies are around. We're going to fight them. We're going to use the streets of Egypt to defeat Assyria. And then we're going to do this to defeat Babylon. God says, No, I'm the one that redeems you. I'm the one that does it. Last point God is the Creator. Isaiah 45 15, The book says, The Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth, who made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, real quick, and we're running out of time. Just mark is working down, if you will. Second Peter 3, verse 5. Second Peter 3, 5. It says in 2 Peter 3, 5, For this they willfully forget, for by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water. Now, by this they willfully forget. What did they willfully forget according to Second Peter 5? They willfully forgot creation. So I'm telling you right now that when Second Peter was written two thousand years ago, there was not a single evolutionist around. So why in the world would God put that verse in there? My personal opinion is that he knew as the time came and the future came that the idea of creation, which is such a fundamental point of it's ridiculous to think that somebody else could have done this by chance, by happenstance. Who would ever thought? You know, and this is my personal opinion. If you could go back in time and talk to Peter and Paul and say, Hey, what do you think is going to be one of the big threats to Christianity in a couple thousand years? I don't know if any of them ever would have said creation. People are just going to really question creation. is what happens today? People question creation. There's a whole museum down in Cincinnati. Why? To reaffirm creation. We have got 30 people from church going down to this museum. Why? To learn more about creation. I think that's great. And I'm saying is, why is it being questioned? Because Satan knows he can take your mind off creation and start planting seeds of you are a fluke, a happenstance, a chance, you name it. Well, there is no God. I have no reason. I have no purpose. So therefore, what I do has no consequences. I am just an accident. So therefore, it's an accident, there is no moral code. So don't tell me right from wrong because we're all just whatever's whatever I want to do, I can do. See, when you have creation, you have a creator, and that creator then has the power, and he's the one that's set up right from wrong. Creation is being attacked. So, have I forgot creation, you probably haven't, but this is the way I'm taking that question that I ask myself. Am I also doing a good job, though, of making sure, in my personal family, do my kids know and understand creation? Because if you've got kids in the public school system, you know right now, when they get in the public school system, the theory of evolution has taught us facts. You know that. Uh, now we've got bigger things to worry about than creation. I don't know. I think creation is pretty important. If you take away this mindset that I am created by God, then you take away any accountability and responsibility to who He is. It's important to ingrain that to our kids and to other people too, that you were created by God for a purpose, for His good pleasure, and so therefore we are responsible and accountable to Him for our actions. That's vital. And I love this verse, forty-five, eighteen. But it says, Who formed the earth and made it? Who has established it? Who did not create it in vain? Some of your translations and say, Did not create it empty or did not create it a waste. And I tell you, I love astronomy. I could go on here for hours and hours about the uniqueness of the creation of earth, the science behind it, and, and the astronomy behind it. And if you remember correctly, last week, and I'll throw it back to the sound guys, we did three Sunday evening services on Genesis. And uh, David Perry taught the first one on Genesis 1 where he talked about the science of creation. And the sound guys can also um, keep that for you. But what I want to finish up with this is because I knew we can't do time to get into this uh, purpose. Message. The church has got a bunch of videos. I don't know if you know this. And they're all about this different type of stuff. It only costs 2 a night to rent them. And we just need two forms of ID. That's all. I, I'm kidding. they are free. And Nancy, not to embarrass her, she has a sign-up sheet. Um, if you want some good ones, Creatures That Defy Evolution, Volume 1. Very good. Creatures That Defy Evolution, Volume 3. I don't know what happened to Volume 2. I don't know if we've that or not. God of Wonders, exploring the wonders of creation, conscience, and the glory of God. It's the best one, and we only have one of it, so don't fight over it. It's called The First Planet. If you have not seen it, it is absolutely wonderful. It gets into the science of the uniqueness of Earth. And I tell you, when you watch this, remember Isaiah 45.18. Earth is so uniquely created. And Lord says in verse 18, forms to be inhabited. Wow, I can say, I could go on and on about the uniqueness of Earth and the science behind that. So I will give these to Nancy afterward. She's got the sign sheet. If you ever want to grab one of these, I highly encourage you. They're very well done. They're very good. So God is the creator. Now let's finish this all up and put it together. God is God. No question about that. He's God, He's the only one that can do prophecy, so we can trust Him and trust His Word. And as we trust to read His Word, we realize that He's the Redeemer. He's the only one that can redeem me from my sin. He's the only one that can do it. And the reason He's the Redeemer is because He's also the Creator. He's the only one that can take care of this sin problem.
2: And as you read through Isaiah
0: 44 through 46, and I encourage you, if you get a chance tonight, read through that on your own. You'll get this full picture and look at all these verses these four themes keep coming out again and again and again in this one little subpoint point under god is the creator you'll find some of these passages in isaiah 44 through 46 about idolatry the way god shoots down idolatry is to say i'm the one that created it i'm the one that created this world so anything you take from this world he uses the example of you take a tree and you make an idol out of it you use the rest of it for firewood he goes how silly is that i'm the creator if you're going to worship anything, worship me. One final point that I want to say about God the Redeemer. Um, on the website that we do every week, is we uh, pick a little different uh, devotional that we run across that is really, really neat. The one up there right now is uh, from uh, Pastor Bob Coy of Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And it's a little about self-righteousness. I encourage you to get a chance to read that. It's called Insight from the Word. It's up there on the website. And we have the old ones that we've had up there, too. If you ever want something kind of fun to read, what we do is we, we do a lot of reading out here. And if we find something really good, we're like, wow, that'd be a good thing to share with the body. So we try to keep those, throw up there, and uh, throw one of those up there new each week. So, four main points tonight. You can take a look at them and kind of chew on them some more. And uh, hopefully, hopefully blessed by that. Anybody got any final questions comments here before we close up? All right. work.
1: The actual attack on creation itself is just another form of the spirit of the Antichrist that goes into the latter days of the
0: world because it's actually an attack on Christ. Yeah. It's taking God's most visible witnessing tool and trying to take it away from him. You so know, in Romans 1, when God said, Do you want to know I exist, he basically said, highly paraphrased, look out the window and you'll see creation. Creation is my greatest witnessing tool to show I exist. So when you take away creation, you're taking away God's greatest witnessing tool. Yeah, right. Yeah, part of creation is that man that was created sinned, and that sin had to be dealt with. Sin is not a fluke. Sin is a choice that we did there. Yeah, John.
1: Romans 1, it says that uh, they began to worship the creation. So rather yeah. than the creator, they gave them over to
0: reprobate minds. Yep. You know. When you get your eyes off the Lord, everything falls out of place. I and mean, that's really what it is. And you see that in the world today. We're more focused on something than than the Lord. We're only, if we had our eyes on God, boy, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. I can't remember, there was a shirt somebody had, I think it was Jason that had, and, it, and, it, and it, I'm not trying to get into a political thing here, but it shows a, um, like a spotted owl, and then beside it was like a picture of a baby, I think, in, um, in utero, and it says something like, this spotted owl has more rights than this baby, or something like that. And you know, what a ridiculous statement, I mean, uh, a truth that is, because the world cares more about the animal world than it does you know, babies. You know, and there's a great passage in here, and I know we're getting late, and I, it was on God the Creator, and I can't remember which one it was, where it talks about the Lord uh, knew them in the womb. And, you know, the important part of that, of realizing, you know, uh, creation, once again, when you take out creation, Isaiah 44, 24, 24 Let's the Lord your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. And when you take out creation,
2: then that baby
0: is not a baby. You know, it's just a massive tissue and boy that baby's a beautiful life that God created. Beautiful life. There's a
1: quote that Jesus said in the gospel that you'll work at, but basically
0: you're worth more than any sparrow. Yeah, uh, not not just when the sparrows fall. And if I if I know where the sparrows fall are, you're not of more value. Yeah. So we're now a little late here, but thanks for sticking around. Yeah, Marv. Yeah, Jeremiah's a good one. Yeah, um, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you, or ordained you as a prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah 1.5. And there's also a great one in Psalms. And my mind's blanking. What is it? That? 139.14. That's a great one in Psalms 2 there about the preciousness of life. And 139.14. Um, I praise you for I am tearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows very well. So some great verses on that. Great verses on that. All right, let's close up the prayer and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time tonight. Lord, help us just to remember, Lord, you are God. We serve you. We love you. We place our faith and trust in you. No matter what is going on in our lives, help us to trust that you're going to get us through this, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray.